There are a few announcements before we begin our service this morning. And um, Katie wants everyone to know that there are new pictures online at GreerChurch.com of the Easter extravaganza that we had last weekend for the children, the Easter egg hunt. Katie did an excellent job of uh, telling the Easter story and, and organizing the hunt and the activities and the crafts and all that stuff last week. And there's some really good pictures online at www.GreerChurch.com. Also want to remind uh, the kids, the youth, and everyone that there is no Sunday night activities tonight. Please use that time to enjoy your family and your friends on this Easter Sunday. Um, got a busy week, though. This Wednesday... Pretty sure that the menu for this month is lasagna, um, so come and be a part of that. There'll be things for the kids to do as well there, um, and so we hope to see you there. April is a very busy month for our church, um, not only because we, we begin with Easter, but also because we have, in just a few weekends, something called His Weekend, and His Weekend stands for Hope, Inspiration, and Salvation, and it's a time of spiritual renewal. And it, it kind of culminates and centers around a, a benefit concert for Relay for Life where Jason Crabb's going to come and perform in our Family Life Center. Um, and we want it to be not solely about this church, but about the whole community and everybody uh, and a, kind of a spiritual awakening weekend. Um, and in preparation for that, we're going to have Relay Moments uh, the next few Sundays leading up to that where somebody will come and share a little bit about what cancer has done in their lives, how it has affected them and how they have claimed the victory and see the, the hope uh, that Relay brings as well. And uh, so at this time, on, on this Easter Sunday, David Owens is going to be the one who comes and shares. Thank you, Andy. Good morning. And happy Easter. When I was asked to speak about Relay for Life a couple of weeks ago, Steve Barber asked me, and he, I said, yeah, I can do that. And there's things that I'm passionate about, and I'm, there's things that I'm opinionated about. So I was a little nervous about that. And when I talked with Kenna this morning, my wife, about what I was going to say, and as I prepared for it, she said, stay away from the opinions. You'll do OK with the passion stuff. So what I'm about to speak about is for Relay for Life and what it means for me, I'm passionate about. I want to set a story for you. It was early spring of 1971, and there was a young teenager. He had a strong admiration for his grandfather. He was about to have a life-changing event. He had the usual strong family bindings, the mother, the father, the sister, but there was something special about that grandfather. Now, to make that relationship a little bit more special, he was the only grandson of four grandchildren. He lived on a farm, and through the years, that grandson would help on the farm, doing the usual chores, feeding the cows and the chickens and the pigs and things like that. 
and they just grew to a very fondness there. He had a paper route early in the mornings, and it was a special love and a working relationship that this grandson and grandfather had. But they also had fun too. They fished at the lake. They learned to, he learned to drive an old pickup truck on the farm. They picked at each other. And the grandfather would even buy the grandchildren an old motorcycle. And not only, not only did the grandchildren ride that motorcycle, but the grandfather rode, rode too. So it was a pretty good relationship that he had with his grandchildren. So the fun continued until one Saturday afternoon. The grandson and the grandfather were working in the fields and they were doing the usual chores on the farm. And the grandfather would pass out. He passed out in the yard there or drinking ice water. So the grandfather was rushed to the hospital. He was diagnosed with cancer, terminal. And then five months later, he would pass away. Now that was pretty devastating to a family that didn't know that this person had cancer. And it was devastating to this grandson. He had truly lost a friend. In later years, that grandson would, would remember things about his grandfather, but he really didn't know the impact that that grandfather had on people in the community. And it would inspire him to be that kind of person. Later in the spring, this grandson was just about to be out for school for the summer. <clears throat> he was going to a, to a matinee movie with some friends after school one day, and it was the tearjerker Brian's song. And for you older people, me included, that remember Brian's song, Brian's song was a movie about Brian Piccolo. He was a star running back at Wake Forest University. He went on to play with the Chicago Bears. He played alongside Gail Sayers. He had a bout with cancer. He lost his life too with cancer. Long story short, this grandson was at this movie. His mom was in the hospital for a routine biopsy. She would be diagnosed with cancer. Now could it be that that son, that grandson, was gonna have another devastating part of his life? another challenge in his life. So I'm going to do like Paul Harvey says in a minute. I'm going to give you the rest of that story. Folks, our church is embarking on his weekend, as Andy relayed to, to you a few minutes ago. Hope, inspiration, and salvation. That's what, we, that's what, as a committee, we have keyed this as. Now, there's been a committee working on this since last November. You probably don't know that. So there's been a lot of time, blood, sweat, and tears put into this thing. And we need your help. All this, re all this benefits Relay for Life. This is for our church. We've done a golf tournament in the past, but this is for our church and what we'll do for Relay for Life for Cancer. Friday night, April 23rd, in our own FLC, our praise band will be bringing the music. They'll have inspirational speakers. We're trying to get some testimonies from some younger, some of the younger crowd of maybe that parents or they've had loved ones that have bouts with cancer. Dale Evans, he's a motivational speaker. He's had a bout with cancer. He's going to be here to kick things off as far as speakers. Mike Ayers, the Walford football coach, is going to be here. And if you have not heard Mike Ayers speak, he's incredible. So you'll want to, you'll want to try and hear him too. So Friday night we're kicking that off, and it's, it's going to be a good inspirational thing for us.
We want to open this up to the whole community, to all ages. We want everyone, everyone of all ages here. On Saturday night, 24th, as Andy re related to you, Jason Kraft, if you haven't heard him, his lyrics, his music, the words in his music will speak to you. I promise it will. He is very inspirational. So plan to be here for that too. Tickets will be on sale after the services and uh, they will continue to be on sale too. You can buy those online if you'd like. But we want this to be, uh, then let me go a little bit further too. <clears throat> on Sunday morning, Arthur's good friend, Jim Nates will be here. And you, if you read about him in the newsletter this week, um, Jim has his own special story to, to share with us about cancer. So as you can see, we've got a, an entire weekend of revival here for our church. Music, inspiration, hearing personal encounters with, with cancer. And we want that to help lead us on a walk with God. We want it to be inspirational that way. Our committee that's been meeting for so long needs your help. Through your Sunday school classes, you're going to be called on to, to help, and I think you already have. So please, please help us with that. Donate your time. If you can donate money, we take money too. So it's, we're trying to defray some costs here of getting Jason Crabb. Uh, the cost of, his, uh, of getting him here is going to be somewhat, but uh, we feel like we've got that covered with what we're going to do. To, um, to eliminate that cost. So join me in rolling up your sleeves. This is going to be a wonderful event, and uh, I look forward to seeing you there. So why am I so passionate about Relay for Life? I'll let you have the rest of the story now. I was that grandson. I was that son. Now, my grandfather was taken five months after he was diagnosed. My mother was diagnosed with cancer. But through cancer research and through treatment and through just her strong will of, live, of, of life to live, she lasted 13 more years. She was with us for 13 years. She enjoyed two children. She got to see us married and have happy families. So now as a grandparent, I can be passionate about this because I have a grandson. And I, want, I don't want him to want for anything. I want him to see what life can bring. We all can sympathize and we can empathize with those near and dear to us who have battled cancer, who have lost to cancer, and who have a future, who may have a future encounter with cancer. None of us know. So again, let me invite you to his weekend to help launch a desire and a passion to reach out and help our area's cause for fighting and whipping cancer. I'd like for us to use this as, as a time of reflection and of making new friends in our community and building a, a support system so that we can all fight this together. Thank you. This time, let us prepare our hearts to worship together on this wonderful Easter Sunday.
Please remain standing as we affirm our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page 881 of your hymnals. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the nation shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This time we'll have the lighting of the Paschal candle. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on this most holy morning in which Jesus passed over from death to life, we gather as the church to watch and pray. This is the Passover of Christ, in which we share in Christ's victory over death. Let us pray. God of life, Through Jesus Christ, you have bestowed upon the world the light of life. Sanctify this paschal candle, and grant that our hearts and minds may also be kindled with holy desire to shine forth with the brightness of Christ's rising, that we may attain to the feast of everlasting light. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The light of Christ rises in glory, overcoming the darkness of sin and death. Christ is our light. This time, we ask for the children to come forward for our children's moments. With Peggy Smith. Good morning. Happy Easter. I need to know who got jelly beans in their Easter basket this morning. Anybody get jelly beans? No jelly beans? Have you ever seen jelly beans? Are they all one color? Are they all different colors? Different colors. That's right. They're all different colors. Well, when I look at jelly beans, it makes me thankful for all of the things that God has given us. So if you eat any jelly beans, when you eat jelly beans, I want you to think of all the things or some of the things God has given us that are so wonderful. And I'm going to tell you about some different colored jelly beans and what they make me think of and why I'm thankful for them. The first one is orange. I like orange jelly beans. You like them too? Me too. Good. Well, the orange makes me think of the sun. 
and the sun shines on us every day and it makes the flowers grow and the plants grow and it keeps our earth warm. So I'm thankful for the sun and I can remember that when I see orange jelly beans. It's orangey yellow, it is. Some children, when I teach first grade and sometimes they color it yellow and sometimes they color it orange. And yeah, and they mix it all up on, in my class a lot of times. It is, yeah, it's, all, it's kind of really different colors. You're right. And then green. Green jelly beans remind me of all. You like green jelly beans? <laughs> grass and plants, very good. It reminds me of the green grass and trees that God gives us that give us oxygen to help us breathe. The trees give us oxygen and the plants, and we breathe that in. So I'm thankful for that. And then... And the, like those plants, that's right. And then the yellow and purple and orange, the yellow, purple, and red jelly beans remind me of all the beautiful flowers. And we see a lot of those today. Do you see any yellow flowers? Mm-hmm. Do you see purple flowers? Yes. Do you see red flowers? Aren't they beautiful? So we need to be thankful for those things that God gives us because it makes our earth beautiful. Okay, and the other thing, the other, there's another jelly bean that I never have liked. My daddy loved this color jelly bean, but I never liked them, and that's the black ones. Have you ever? Ugh. <laughs> All right, but let me tell you, listen, listen. Hold on to your call. Listen. The black jelly beans may be the most important ones because sometimes when people think of black, they think of dying and death. Well, the black jelly beans remind me that God sent his son to die for us on the cross. And it's on this day, like that cross, and it's on this day that we are so thankful and we remember that. And it's a wonderful thing, even though they're, to me, the yuckiest jelly beans, they're maybe the, they may be the most important ones that we remember what God did for us. Yes. You like purple and red? You don't like purple? Well, you know what? I like them all. I like all candy. But I want you to remember when you eat jelly beans today or in the next week, or when you eat any color candy, Skittles, any kind of colored candy, I want you to try to remember, like blue. Yeah. What? Right? Yes. So, listen, I want you to remember when you eat that candy, something that God gave us that's that color, and say a little prayer of thank you to God for the things he's given us. Let's all close our eyes and pray. Say it after me. Thank you, God, for all the colors and all the things you give us, especially your son. Amen.
Our Old Testament scripture lesson comes today from the book of Isaiah, 53rd chapter, verses 1 through 7, and can be found on page 1145 in your pew Bibles, if you wish to read along. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Here ends the lesson. If you're able now to stand with me and join in our responsive reading, found on page 80 in your hymnals. We praise you, O God. To you, all angels, all the powers of heaven, cherubim and seraphim, sing in endless praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise you. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. You, Christ, are the King of glory, the eternal Son of the Father. When you became incarnate to set us free, you humbly accepted the virgin's womb. You are seated at God's right hand in glory. We believe that you will come to be our judge. Come in, Lord, and help your people. Walk with Christ your own Lord, and bring us with your saints to glory everlasting.
be seated. Our epistle lesson for today comes from the book of Acts, verses 26, or chapter 26, verses 1 through 15, and can be found on page 1739 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to join along. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Dear Lord, not so long ago we began the Lenten season with the imposition of ashes to remind us of our frailty and our weakness. We know we don't deserve the love you have shown us. So often our lives are overwhelming and stressful. More times than we would like to admit, we feel lost and confused. Our lives are filled with high points and low points, joy and suffering. As Easter people, we remember how the last week of your life exemplifies our human condition. As the shouts of Hosanna turn to crucify, we must confess that we too relate to this story in so many ways. We are fickle in our devotion to you. One minute we praise your name, Lord, and the next minute we question your providence. And yet even in other ways we relate to this story. It reminds us of how life is ever-changing. Joy turns to mourning and back to joy again. Happiness turns to pain and then back to happiness again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, turns in to come down off that cross and save yourself, and back to he is risen. While many have reason to rejoice this day, still others are suffering, Lord. However, the joy of the resurrection is something that permeates and overcomes all our finite temporary conditions, emotions, and circumstances. You have claimed the victory over death and given us the hope of eternity. How great and marvelous are your ways. And so it is proper for us with all of our hearts and minds, with everything that is in us, to praise you, Father, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, by your wondrous loving kindness toward us, your servants, you gave up your Son to die on the cross. Jesus, you paid the debt of our sins to the Eternal Father by your blood poured forth in love. You cleared away the darkness of sin by your magnificent and radiant resurrection. You broke the bonds of death and rose from the grave as a conqueror. You reconciled heaven and earth to one another. Our lives had no hope of eternal happiness before you redeemed us. Your resurrection has washed away our sins, restored our innocence, and brought a joy to our lives. How amazing is the tenderness of your love and the complexity of your plan. We pray, Lord, that you would preserve your servants in the peaceful enjoyment of this Easter happiness. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you now, God, our Father. And that same Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and we will And we forgive those who trespass against us, and we deny the temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Please join me in worship as we give of our tithes and offerings a portion of what the Lord has blessed us with.
Our gospel reading for today comes from Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 1642 of your pew Bibles. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the entrance. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering himself what had happened. And now for the guest that Arthur had arranged for us to hear today, I introduce to you Dr. Paul. I was in Corinth, and there is Galatia. I do not see South Carolina on my map. Oh, well, I have learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. Grace unto thee and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My name is Saul. I am from Tarsus. Perhaps you know me by the other name that you people have given me. I am often called Paul, but I really prefer my given name Saul because I was named for that great king of our people, the first king of Israel, a man of great valor and might. And that's what the name Saul means, whereas Paul means shorty. I guess that's what I get for calling myself the least of the apostles. But I am pleased to be with you here today and share with you the good news. That's which we have received and passed on to you. That's which you have received, that in which you stand and through which you are being saved. Which is that at first Christ died for our sins as predicted in scripture. That he was buried. That he arose from the dead as predicted also in scripture. And that he appeared first to Peter, my, my big fisherman friend, who thought he had lost a place at the side of Jesus' disciples because of his unfaithfulness. But Jesus made it very clear to Simon Peter that he was to have a leading role in the work of the church. And he is my friend this day. 
And then he appeared to the other disciples. And then he appeared to 500 people in one place, most of them who are still alive. And then he appeared to his little brother, James, who is also now a pillar of our church. And last of all, he appeared to me as if to one who was born at the wrong time and wrong place to even have anything to know to do with Christ or his, his work. I am the least of the apostles. I am the one who persecuted the church and therefore least deserving to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace was not wasted upon me. I had worked harder than all the others for the cause of Christ. Incredible, you say? Unbelievable that Christ should rise? Indeed it is. If I had not insisted upon the resurrection of the dead, my logical Greek brothers would not have persecuted me as they have. And had I not insisted that Righteousness with God is to be found not through works of Moses' law, but through trust in Jesus Christ. My Hebrew kinsmen wouldn't have pursued me like dogs as they have from community to community. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Greeks seek signs of logic, whereas my Hebrew brethren seek signs from God. But when it turned out that human wisdom and signs could not find the way to God, God in his grace decided to reveal himself to us through the foolishness that we preach of Christ crucified and resurrected. It is folly to those that are lost, but to us it is the power of salvation. Now you may know I didn't always believe this. In fact, I thought against this for many, many days. I was raised in a very fine community with a wonderful university in Tarsus. I learned to speak not only Greek and Latin, but also Aramaic and Hebrew. And while I was still a young man there, I had an opportunity to go to Jerusalem to study even more and to learn the ways of our ancestors. I am a very strict follower of the law of Moses still. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And as Peter introduces me from time to time, I am a Hebrew's Hebrew. You're not going to find one more Hebrew than I am. And yet I count all that as loss for the glory of knowing my Lord Jesus. Anyway, I went down to live with my sister in Jerusalem where I was then able to go to the finest rabbinical school of our day and have Gamaliel as my teacher. Any student of Gamaliel fares well in the world and I was so fortunate to become one of his students. Not only was I just one of his students, I became his prize student. I worked hard and became a Pharisee, the strictest of all our people. And he was as proud of me as if I were his own child. I had left Jerusalem and was back in Tarsus 
making tents and working and teaching there, when I first heard the news about this Jesus of Nazareth, I had to laugh. A nobody, a man from a community that was in the back of nowhere, had assembled a group of derelicts and outcasts who were walking around proclaiming that he was the Messiah. Oh, I know the Romans must have trembled in their boots when they heard about this little ragtag army of Messiah believers. It was funny. I didn't pay it any attention. Later, someone came through and reported to us that this Jesus had been tried as an enemy of the state and executed by Rome after he had been accused by the teachers of the law that I knew quite well. They had accused him of blasphemy. And I was satisfied that he had been executed because that's what happens to blasphemers and those who insist on overthrowing the Roman government. But the next thing I heard troubled me deeply. And that was that someone coming through our community said that the story had not ended there, that now that band of followers of Jesus were going from place to place saying that his burial site was found to be empty of its body and that Jesus was alive the Son of God, they were saying, as well as Messiah. And they were encouraging people to abandon the law of Moses and instead to trust in the ways and teachings of Jesus. I was furious when I heard these things. I was furious because this group was tampering with the faith of our ancestors. And they must be stopped, I thought. And so I returned to Jerusalem and enlisted in the secret service of, uh, of the high priest who gave me documents of introduction and authority so that I might go from place to place arresting any that I found there to be followers of Jesus, to bring them back to Jerusalem where they would be tried for their heresy. I was there one day when I heard a man named Stephen put the death and resurrection of Jesus in the context of the history of all of our people. And then he made all of us quite angry at the end of his, his lecture to us. He said, you've never done anything but persecute the prophets that God sent to you. And you've done the same thing to the Son of God, the Messiah. We rose up in anger and stoned him to death. I watched as he was dying and he prayed for our forgiveness as I'm told the Lord Jesus also did as he was dying. And as I went from place to place, I wondered why these followers of Jesus were so intent in what they taught and believed. In the face of persecution and jail and death, they would look at me and say, we know what we saw, Saul. You will not get us to change our testimony for life on this earth when we have been promised eternal life at the side of our Savior. Couldn't get them to change their mind. On one of the occasions I was traveling from Jerusalem to the community of Damascus, and it was in the heat of the day, and I was feeling that heat and had just remarked to my friends about how bright the sun seemed. 
when suddenly it seemed to me that the sun went dim. By comparison with a localized light right there above us that was so blindingly bright we fell to the ground and covered our eyes. From within that light I heard a voice. And that voice said, Saul, 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 why do you keep doing this? Why do you continue persecuting me when you know it's the truth that I am the Christ? It's hard for you to keep going against what you know to be right. You're just like a dumb farm animal that doesn't yield to the direction of the farmer who is trying to give it correct guidance. You haven't yielded yet. From the brightness and the fear that I felt in that moment, I managed to say out loud, just who are you? And the voice said, you know who I am. I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Get up on your feet and go on into the city with these men and you will be told what you must do. And then the brightness of that light left and I was helped to my feet by my friends and I could not see a thing. I was totally blind. But somehow that didn't bother me nearly as much as the blindness of my soul. For how had I, with all of my great education, failed to see our Christ, our Messiah, when he came here to be with us? Why had I not connected what Isaiah had written with what Jesus had done? Why had I not seen that in Jesus the prophecy was best fulfilled, that all we like sheep have gone astray, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and by his stripes we have been made whole? How had I not seen that? My friends led me on into Damascus where I went to the home of a friend there named Judas who welcomed me into his home and uh, took care of me for three days during which time I would not eat and I would not drink. I was too depressed. Not only had I missed our Christ, I had been responsible for the death of many people that followed him. When I did rest and fall asleep, I dreamed about a man who came in and spoke to me and touched me and restored my sight. And I would wake up from those dreams and find myself still blind, and I wondered, is that the way it will be for the rest of my life, that I will be tormented by false hopes of one day seeing again? After three days of this strange dream, there was a knock on the door and a young man came in whose name was Ananias. He came in, it seemed to be almost, I think I could hear the boy's knees chattering and rattling, he was so frightened. He, he walked over and timidly said, Brother Saul, um, the one you saw on the road here has sent me here. And I said, go ahead, tell me what the Lord has, has sent you to say. He grew a bit bolder at that point and said, the Lord Jesus has sent me here. And I said, speak. And he walked over to me and laid his hands upon my head and said, receive your sight and go forth from here and proclaim the message that you have witnessed, that Jesus is alive. 
something began raining down out of my eyes like fish scales. And my host went and got a basin of water and we washed my eyes and in a few minutes the last of those, those scales were gone and I could see again. Well, what would you do if your sight had been restored and your insight had been, been restored as well? I ate just a little, enough to get some energy to rush down to the synagogue and to begin proclaiming what I had seen. The people that were there of the Hebrew faith laughed. One of them said, Brother Saul has come up with a new way to smoke out the believers in Christ. He's making them think he's one of them. But the more that I talked about Jesus being our Messiah, it was obvious to them that I was not the same person they were expecting. And so they decided to plot against my life. Different ones of them guarded the exits from the town so that if I planned to leave, they would take my life. Perhaps you heard how I had to leave that city. Someone lured me over in a basket of trash and dirty clothes down on the other side of the wall and when it was dark I fled into the into the wilderness I made my way back to Jerusalem but I had no friends there word of what happened beat me there the Hebrew people would have nothing to do with me the Christians were afraid of me had it not been for Barnabas I would have met no followers of Jesus that time after more trouble broke out there, it was decided the best thing for me was to return to Tarsus and, and be kind of uh, low-key for, for myself for a while. And so I went into the desert for a while and studied with new eyes the scripture and returned to Tarsus making tents and teaching that Jesus was the Christ and is the Christ. A few years after that, my friend Barnabas showed up and he said, something great is happening over at Antioch. Come with me and be one of the shepherds of that flock. So he and I went there and, and we started working and a wonderful revival broke out in Antioch. And it was there that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, little Christs. It was said in derision, but we embraced it with honor. After a few years of shepherding that church, one day a leader in the church stood up and said, It is time. The Lord says it is time. It is time for Barnabas and Paul to be separated from us and go on their way to the mission that God has called them to in the world to proclaim to Jews and Gentiles that Jesus is Lord. And so they prayed for us and sent us on our way. I traveled first with Barnabas and later with Silas and others. And everywhere we've gone, we've seen wonderful things as people became followers of Jesus. We also have encountered many enemies who have fought us at every turn. I have been beaten several times, shipwrecked other times, Jailed more times than, than I can count. By the way, a jail is a wonderful place to study scripture and to talk with prisoners and to talk with people that come to visit. 
and it's a wonderful place to write letters to your friends. I consider the jail my greatest pulpit, but I have been told that maybe another pulpit awaits me. I have been warned that my days are numbered, that before long I will face death. Someone said they're going to put you up on a cross, Paul, and I responded, what a wonderful place from which to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. For you see, for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is even greater gain. Sometimes I'm torn between those two options. For to be absent from this body would mean to be present with the Lord. But I would imagine that for now it's best that I remain in the body for a while longer so that I might teach. But for me to live is Christ. And when I die, that will be the greatest gain. And so my proclamation to you on this Easter here in South Carolina is that Jesus is alive. That I once opposed him, but by God's grace my eyes have been opened and I see that he is our Messiah. He died for our sins. He was raised for our justification. He lives to be our king. May you go forth as followers of Jesus proclaiming to your world that Jesus is alive. Amen. Thank you.